I can't stop thinking about them. I keep rereading their old texts. Brian, Brian, this has got to stop. It's been months and they send those alerts to everyone. You know that, right? Look, your bank is leaving, but you got to get back out there. Listen to me, any bank would be lucky to have you, especially Bank of Ireland. Really? Yeah, they've even put together a simple step-by-step guide to move on banks and have a dedicated team on hand to help. Even an ending could be a new beginning. To start finding your new banking partner, download our step-by-step guide to moving banks. Search Bank of Ireland Big Move. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Hard Shoulder With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with myself, Andrea Gilligan, sitting in for Ivan Yates this Friday evening. Now, of course, every Friday on the programme at this time, we take a look back at the stories that really got us talking over the past seven days. And joining me for this edition of the Friday Final Furlong in studio this evening, Kevin Doyle, political editor with the Irish Independent, Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist, and also Harry McCann, founder of Trendsetter.ie. You're all very welcome to the programme. Thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you. Um, I thought everybody was on summer holidays, Kevin. But you must be the only journalist not getting any break, are you? You're I, I snuck away for a few days. You've had Belfast and McGill, and you're getting all of the. I did. Ha- I did have a brief Brexit break there last week. Can you not see my tan? I can. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I thought you got it. Maybe covering Brexit. But. Well, it was lovely up in Donegal at the Midland, yeah. uh, as, as, as at the Lenty Summer School, as you know, lovely part Absolutely, of the world up there. Yeah. So a little bit of sun up there, but uh, no, it's all very dark and miserable there this summer. I think in terms of political journalism, it's 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 not been fun. Well, we're going to start with that though, because this week um, the Taoiseach spoke out about how those calling for a united Ireland must realise that it would actually involve a different state with a new constitution. Um, A new case for Irish unity has been ignited now by Brexit and I want to start by asking all of you today here on the panel, what are your thoughts um, basically on a united Ireland? Kevin, I might just start with yourself because you were in Belfast during the week when Leo Bradker made those comments. Just what was your assessment of the whole thing? Yeah, and it was a very interesting, the context for all of that was a debate that was taking place uh, in a school on the Falls Road, which so was a very nationalist audience and they really liked Leo Bradker up there, which is, is, is something I, I, I've been up there five or six times now in the last couple of years on, on trips that he's made up there and uh, they seem both sides of the community genuinely mm. seem to really like when he goes up um, but they didn't really on the Falls Road like his view of a united Ireland which was stall the ball uh, his message was essentially this is not the time Brexit is going to be chaotic enough Anglo-Irish relations are not in a good place and we haven't really thought about what it means um, Mary Lee MacDonald was there obviously making yeah. the, the, the argument going well let's start thinking about what it means and then you had Geoffrey Campbell of the DUP was part of the same debate and he was very much making the point that it's all grand you're all talking about your Irishness and, and what a 32 county uh, Ireland might look like but not one of you have actually said my Britishness where would my Britishness stand in that uh, United Ireland and I think that actually well I wouldn't agree with very much that Geoffrey Campbell ever says mm. I do think that there hasn't been any significant debate around what it would mean for the unionist community well, if there were to be a isn't, United that's the thing though Barbara I mean the whole focus is on us and the Irish and how we'd be affected and you hear talk all this week about you know the anthem and the Irish constitution and the tricolour and all of this kind of stuff but I mean do you, are you in touch with the 
Have you a, a British side or do you, does that... Have I a British side? Well, I have a British husband and I have oh, two well, kids well, who are British, so I guess I do. But I mean, I don't think that's unusual here. And I think that I really welcome... I mean, I, I agree with, with what Leo Varadkar said, um, is that it's not the time for a border mm. poll. I've always felt that. Um, but I do think it's time that we started to have these kind of conversations where we start to explore what... And I don't even like using the term United Ireland because that's a loaded kind of a term. But a new Ireland that would look like that could include... Um, our unionist brothers and sisters up in, in Northern Ireland and the kind of Ireland that we might be able to imagine where they would feel comfortable in being a part of it. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward, if we can, if we can, you know, this, it, I, I, I was attending quite a few things at the uh, Doki Book Festival this year on Brexit and actually this came up quite a few times and it was interesting when you had people like historians feeding into it as well. You know, we're a hundred years after independence but our history in Ireland, I think very often, um, a lot of people see as being very one-dimensional mm-hmm. and it's not. It's really nuanced. Like my, my family would be typical in that my grandfather on my mother's side fought in the War of Independence, was in the IRA in North Cork, was very active, blah, blah, blah. But my grandfather on my father's side fought for the British Army in the First World War. He was, he was from Dublin, he was from Leash, but he, he lived in Dublin and he fought for the British Army in the First World War. So I think when we put the whole thing into a historical context that we may, I think we would be capable of trying, of, of making a good shot at coming up with an Ireland that would be different okay. and an Irishness so you're not that would it have out, to, yeah, that would have right. to accommodate a unionist point of view in Northern Ireland. Can I ask you, Harry? I'll just hazard a guess. You're probably the youngest of all of us here in the room today. No, 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 no offence to anybody in But I meet Harry out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think is there from from a kind of a younger generational perspective? What's the kind of very youthful view towards the idea of United Ireland now in 2019. You were now a spokesperson for the young people. Yeah. You are it. <laughs> yeah, so what do the young people so, <laughs> Yeah, I suppose from my point of view, I'm, I'm not for it at the moment. Um, I do think there's a lot of stuff that needs to be discussed first and I think we kind of romanticised the idea of United Ireland for far too long and kind of forgot about all the economic, political kind of points and barriers mm-hmm. that are there. I studied history for the Leaving Cert and I always remember when this came up there was always cheers and jeers and, and everyone was always delighted at the idea that we'll get our counties back and you know Michael <laughs> Collins and De Valera and all that kind of crack but to be honest like there's a lot of things and I, I was looking and you're looking at the head of state you know is it the Queen or is it going to be the President you know is it the currency is it the euro, the sterling the anthem the flag there's so many yeah. things even the national broadcaster are we going to be watching the BBC or RTE you know, might do a sort of a half amalgamation of well, the two maybe the, the, it, it, that speaks to something different because you're kind of talking about and there's so many rows about flags and emblems and all yeah. that in the north at the minute but and that, part of this debate we haven't even looked at the health system oh big time uh, the education system uh, the the, the Things like well, the National Broadband. I can tell you, somebody kind of that's from it's, a border area, yeah. anyone in the border area will probably want the NHS. It's about the one yeah. thing you'll take out of England is you want the but health system. But you know system. what? I think those kind of issues, you know, if it forced us to look at, I mean, we have a broken health system. We have a very sick education system. Mm. A lot of these conversations that could come out of dreaming up of a new Ireland would could actually, so she being an internal optimist, you know, re reinvigorate and reinvent our systems that yeah. don't Un- work. Until, until the taxman comes and tells you, well, actually, Northern Ireland's going to cost us a whole lot more well, you money. Know what? Yeah. I oh. asked, I asked David McWilliams that exact question um, uh, during one of the things at Doki Book Festival, and he said, "No, there is no that the economic benefit in the long term 
would in the be, long term, would but be in, much in the better. short term, yeah. you know, the subsidies and everything else that we'd be paying and, you know, trying to make sure employment stays where it's at. And I think, like, it comes back to, as I said, all these points are so important, but they're discussions that haven't been had mm. in a very long time. And I, I agree, like, the education system, the UK technically has a better education system mm. than we does. And, you know, you know, I'm just thinking about it, it here. I'm always advocating that the A levels are much better. I way prefer the NHS. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't like, realise until I started this discussion today. the West British. You know that there's there's probably plenty I'd actually. I'd, I've I'd only take one, out of it. I've only one big fear, and that is, and I would have no problem in 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 relooking at our constitution. We do it all the time anyway with all the referendums we have. Mm. Um, I have no problem with looking at. Um, the anthem and changing it as long as it doesn't become something as absolutely awful oh, really? as Ireland's You see, call. no, that's the thing. The, the like, Ireland have been been replaced by what maybe Ireland's call. No, not it, Ireland's call. You no. see, like this Ireland's is this call. is now where I this is where I sort of my position changes in all of this. I wouldn't want to see actually a new constitution, and I do wonder, as you pointed out, Harry, like even politically. Who will become the Taunish though? Will that be a sort of a... Arnie Foster and well, that, Yeah, you know, I wonder, well, like, well, it would have to become a sort of a first minister and, you know, well, that sort of know. thing. Look at what the DUP have done with the balance of power in Westminster. Imagine <laughs> exactly. they have the balance of power on Kildare Street. It's, but it's like, it, it's also important issues like the marriage referendum and abortion. You know, they're two very big issues that the DUP were quite questionable on and, you know, quite different from what we but had I think we, we would make, we would be, we would, it would be a mistake to equate all unionists in Northern Ireland with the DUP, who are like surely mm-hmm. the hard edge of unionism. I think they're, I'm no expert, but I would imagine that there is quite a big cohort of unionists in Northern Ireland who will be very pragmatic and look at Brexit as a disaster mm-hmm. for them economically well, and maybe willing to, to, you know, I mean, it'll be all about compromise. Yeah, and we, we've mentioned some of the kind of policy issues in terms of education and the health system. And we've talked about the, the national anthem and, of course, the the, um, the tricolour and the flag and the constitution. But what about the Irish language, Kevin Doyle? Oh, well, well, then you would assume in a, in a new Ireland that the Irish language would, would be the language of the state, the first language, but equal with English. And therefore, in theory, uh, everyone should be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, But obviously, we know that that's not what's happening in Northern no, Ireland. It's not. You would think that's a fairly simple one, is if you want to speak Irish and you want to speak English, you're grand. Um, we mightn't understand each other, but we'll make a fist at it. Um, but we see the problems that's called. I, I think realistically, like we've jumped about 16 mm. steps since we started the conversation because yeah. the truth is, if there was a new Ireland, you're probably still going to have an assembly in the north. You're not immediately going day one and you have all these northern politicians rushing down to Leinster House to take seats in, in what is the doll, but would probably be something else, the yeah, Irish Parliament by some other name. Um, so I think we have probably jumped decades ahead uh, I think it would have to be a much slower process and a much longer transition. It would be a generational change. Somebody made the point to me earlier today. It's you know you, you know it's the the silly season. It's an August <laughs> news story when this is what we're discussing. Like it, it, yeah, kind of, but also did, you know it generated where we are, a bit more controversy, I suppose, given the commentary. We're at, a, we're at a point in history though where it is now moving. There there was a time not so long ago that um and and none of us are are, are too old in fairness in this studio, but there was a time where you would have asked us, would it happen, would it happen in our lifetime? Yeah. Now we work on the assumption that it will. It will yeah. I don't and think that's it will, changed. though. Do you know how I, I actually know? don't. And like this is something Simon Coveney mentioned, and he goes, I'd like to see United Ireland in my lifetime. And I go, I don't even see it in my lifetime. I just think Why? there's so much in the way. And I just don't think, like, I think on both sides of the border, there's so much, so many indifferences that I think, I don't, and like Brexit's not helping. And I just don't think I'm going to see it at all. I, I really don't. My kids may see it. 
but I don't think I know I when I was your age Harry if somebody had asked me if I could envisage a time when Ireland would remove articles 2 and 3 from the constitution mm, I would have said true, yeah. no way yeah. there is no way they will ever be removed mm. and they were removed literally within I'd, a matter I'd, of I would love to see it I would so, like to see it but I just think like even what's happening up in Storm and now the fact that there hasn't been a government up there I'm going if they can't do simple things like put a government in place how are we going to amalgamate two countries and nations together to become one I just don't see it Barbara Scully, we'll give the final word to you on this. I think we live in interesting times. Yeah. I think uh, I think the conversation is going to be very interesting, and I but I think we need a load of voices. You know, we need the historical perspective. And that's I think that's an interesting part it's, because I think the campaigners for this will be yeah, we'll all run away with it. Uh, but we need to have that much more kind of nuanced and much more and a conversation that gives us a context for a lot of this. And I'd also like to hear the unionist perspective on all of this. Okay, as well. not the DUPs but the unionist in a more general Do way. stay with us. We're going to take a very short break, but my uh, final furlong panel will be back in just a few moments. Okay, you're welcome back. Andrea Gilligan in for Ivan Yates this Friday evening. And of course, it is our uh, final furlong time and we're continuing on with uh, our programme this afternoon. Our panellists, Kevin Doyle, political editor at the Irish Independent, Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist, and also Harry McCann, founder of trendsetter.ie. Well, now that we've solved the issue of uh, a united <laughs> Ireland, we want to move on to a much bigger issue that emerged this week because yesterday, would you believe it was officially International Cat Day? Uh, yes, there is actually an entire day dedicated and set, set aside to the celebration of cats. And I know at least one of our panellists is um, a bit of a big cat lover. Barbara, is Kevin. It? Oh, me? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is this a, a red letter day in your diary? Do you know something? I, I tweeted in the middle of yesterday after in capital letters how the hell did I not know it was International Cat Day yesterday but I didn't know it was International Cat Day but as Ivan knows um, I've had a very traumatic kind of 12 months um, in relation to my own cat stories so um, maybe that's why I didn't know it was International Cat Day I think my cats would all feel it's International Cat Day every day as do most cats but yeah no I live I live um, I share my life with four four uh, of them four and a half um, Explain the half. We had a permanent, uh, we had a permanent population of four cats, which, as right. I was explaining to you, the lot. two gentlemen here, it's not a lot. It not was one lot. for every it person in the house. It's, it's a not lot. a lot. You're a cat lady. It's yeah. not a lot. Um, and a so, crazy cat lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to distance the station from the yeah. commentary of Kevin Doyle at this time. Okay, it's <laughs> all right. He's insulted me worse. Outside. Um, but yeah, so we had we we have a permanent population of four, and the, the youngest one was was Oprah, who we rescued from a um, a pub in Dorky uh, right. about four years ago unusual rescued or robbed no rescued the <laughs> okay. pub rang me was and she said, drunk or <laughs> yeah, well, she over was, she was there. wild she was very feral but she was very young so anyway long story short it was very cold we went and got her the rescues were all closing for Christmas so we kept her at home even okay. though we knew that being a feral cat she was never going to be a lap cat anyway minded her spayed her everything was cool kept her in for you know until she was all of that was done which would have been about three months and then started to let her out my cats have a door that they go in and out themselves okay. but she started to kind of she she was she was she went back to being wild in other words she would come back in every day to eat and then it was every second day and now we only see her once every so often so she's the half cat but then we so she just did the cat thing she just she came just kind along. of yeah she comes she and used goes. and abused you Barbara she, well, that's fine I have no problem with that you see when a cat 
loves you, then it's a much bigger compliment than if a dog loves you because really? a dog will love anybody. Let's be honest. Whereas cats are really Selective. much more uh, fussy about who with uh, uh, who they share their um, attention and their affection with. But anyway, we got so that left us with a bit of a, a gap. We had a, a vacancy, so we filled it last summer um, with a cat who only has three legs because we thought, yeah, we're oh, good, okay, experienced right. cat women, cat people, not cat women, cat people. <laughs> who so we took this cat in and uh, she needed a bit of TLC. She she actually was born with four legs and she just had she was missing a foot okay. but that gave her a problem and that, so we had so she had to have the leg amputated okay. so we had the leg amputated but my, my two the two boys who are the oldest they are Scooter and Diego they hated her from the get go even though we've brought in loads of kittens while they've been there and they hated her and now they hate me and this is a year later this, this is more of it now about Scooter has moved is, out yeah, completely exactly down the, the road do you remember, remember you distanced yourself and from my comments yeah. Yeah. Do Andrea do you want to come back to my side can I just make one appeal because I'm going to shut up then after this is that if there is any cats I psychologist out there listening I am really in need okay. of help I would have thought I had the whole cat thing you um, had it organised down. but I need help Kevin Doyle show your cards see a cat bomb wait for this now what? yes yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm not as, as crazy as uh, as Barbara but uh, I would pick cats over dogs yeah. have you got and this is a ra- no um, th- this is an ongoing discussion at home because my oh. wife wants a dog uh, but see my argument is a dog needs love and attention and all that and looking after mm-hmm. and we both work ridiculous hours uh, oh. whereas a cat will look after itself so we've recently had a cat coming f- over the wall from some of the neighbours uh, who we've befriended um, and he's grand it's lovely and I think a cat's fine I'm, I'm, I had cats when so I was cat younger cat over dogs oh, you see this is the thing I was going to ask you that uh, you had cats as, as a kid had yeah, you okay. but that was down the country it's slightly different having cats down the country than having cats true. down true in, in, in Dublin they have because, jobs down the country yeah down the country <laughs> you let the, the, well down the country they never come into the house for a start oh, yeah. they, they have their own little house outside and they, they go away and do whatever it is they do uh, and come back in the evening but, you but want in Dublin cat, it's different you want a cat Kevin to sit on your knee and watch te- and watch prime time with right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the news the cats are very yeah, intelligent drag me into your club here you know, they're very intelligent animals they're self sufficient I, I just think you're afraid to be completely open with you know where you're going with, with my emotions yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> this is a whole this final furlong's taking a whole different twist uh, Harry what about you yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real controversial and say to be honest I could take your leave either cats or dogs but doesn't I've no, I've no. Well, I'll go further and tell you, I'm not a fan of either. Uh, uh, to be honest, okay. So with we kind of have so, everyone here. We see a dog well, person, like, and we're flying. I'm, I just, I'm just afraid of them. I got really badly scraped by a cat when I was a child, and I've just that's a complete generalisation. I hit all cats, and that's, that's fair. I've like, never got over it, and. I don't I'm know, afraid of dogs and <laughs> there it is it's all out and this is why you had to move to Dublin isn't this it? is why I came to Dublin they kicked you out of the country yeah. <laughs> I know um, but it, I don't know do you know what and it's funny because I do think this is really interesting and it's probably look maybe a topic for another day but you start to see it more and more in Dublin now the um, the pet friendly the cat and dog friendly the pubs and the restaurants not and, so much cat friendly oh, now in fairness oh really no no because cats I'm don't go out now, like right? would, would you bring your cat or you, no you wouldn't bring no, them to my cat you haven't gone that far yet no my cat now I have a dog as well uh, right. because and I have a family of foxes that live in my garden so I'm a bit of an animal person my, my okay. madness goes way beyond my cats um, like I'm the woman who goes out for dinner and whatever leftovers are on the plate I'll say all can right, I, okay. and you can put it all together. Oh, they look no, at me and go, "What?" No. And I bring it home. Yeah, no. for the foxes. But anyway, so what were we talking about, Andrew? Before that, would you bring your cat? No, you wouldn't bring your cat shop. out. No, you no, shouldn't no, bring no. your but pets you would bring anywhere. Your dog, you would bring your dog out. And Ireland is terrible. We're getting better. Australia is brilliant. I mean, oh. um, uh, and England. 
England are fantastic. Their pubs all have water bowls outside. Do you want to bring your future potential cat, Kevin Doyle, that you're going to get to the... I'm not getting one. It's been vetoed. So this oh, is a total hypothetical right. situation. That's not going well, to Well, if, if your wife out. wins out and you get the dog, will the dog be going for brunch? Uh, no, I don't think so. You're no, not a fan? I don't mind them, but they, they're a lot of work. Why do you, you just to bring wants... them with you, though? Can you not just, like... He's in a hotel. But no, but it's becoming a huge thing now. And there's hotel-friendly, or dog-friendly hotels and cat-friendly, you know, B&Bs you can stay in. And look, I think it's great. But for me personally, I just want to know where I they are because I, I avoid them. Like, I, I don't want to go. I stayed in a dog-friendly hotel by accident one time in Frankfurt in Germany. And the smell yeah, of the place You see, this is the thing. Horrendous. Horrendous. I mean, I've stayed in loads oh. of places that allow dogs. I've never stayed in places that allow cats. But I've stayed in loads of places that allow dogs. And usually they have set rooms that they will rent. You mean like they the don't allow dogs in every room? Yeah, so yeah. you shouldn't ever. But they all start they howling smell. in the middle of the night. I know. Well, if they howl, they howl. No, well, know? I'll it's be like, looking for a, a refund and anyway. The baby starts yeah, crying in the middle do. of the night. I'm looking definitely a refund if that's the case. You are much healthier when you live with animals. Let me I know, tell but you. you know what? I actually, like, we never really had pets growing up. And I think that's the problem. Yes, it is. Mm. And I think that's where my fear it's has come from. But that's what makes the difference. Well, it's like, you know, Huh? No, I'm not. Oh, no, judge away. I'm, I won't Jesus be offended. Kevin, what have I ever done on you? Um, no, no, no. But I do think that that, that makes a huge difference because I know, like, my eldest daughter is married and, and lives in Australia. They have two cats as well. Yeah. And I know that my, my other two girls would be the same. I don't think, when you've lived, I've lived with cats forever. My parents had cats before they had kids. I had cats right. as well okay. before I had kids. So um, I think, you know. Who do you love more? Oh. My cats are my kids. Kevin, my kids, And on that note, there. we are going to leave it there, though, for a moment. My final furlong panellists are staying with me. Well, we are, of course, joined by our final furlong panellists. Still with us this evening, Harry McCann, the founder of Trendsetter.ie, Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist, and also the political editor with the Irish Independent, Kevin Doyle. My thanks to you all for staying with us. Well, this week in The Hard Shoulder, we were discussing the issue, actually, of um, the student accommodation crisis, because with rising rents for students at plenty of university owned and also the on-campus accommodation, it was a hot topic. Now, I actually stayed in... um, on-campus accommodation, private accommodation and in digs during my whole educational time in Sligo and Dublin. And um, the issue with digs was something we had a really heated discussion about in the show this week. Because for things like you, you have obviously your accommodation, you get your meals. And I want to know now, given the high cost of accommodation in Ireland, why we've fallen out of love with staying in digs. Harry McCann, what's your take on this? So I live in Diggs. Oh, do you? Okay, I live great. in student accommodation, sorry, in, in UCC in Cork. And um, I live in a n- nice enough place. Um, I live with three girls and it was it was great for the first year and it's it's expensive. It's not Diggs though. It's Diggs a, a com- with a family. Y- yeah. So yeah, I suppose, sorry, accommodation is different. But Students uh, don't even know what Diggs are anymore, Andrew. Uh, Diggs no, Diggs is staying a with a family. You go into a, a random, like, so you go into, so, live with somebody else's mum and dad, basically, because their kids have probably moved on and you're kind of like an adopted kid. They give you a meal I thought evening. Diggs was just sharing with other people. No, no, no. no, no. no. Harry, Jeez. no, no, I'm sorry, no, no, no. such a snowflake yeah. over <laughs> You are... <laughs> But, that absolutely, I was yeah, going to say so that. Wow. that. I think that proves your point, Andrew. Yeah, there you go. Point. Harry, We're just be the end of the discussion. I'd be crying you. all weekend getting over this. So, hang on. So, you're living in share, a shared apartment or yeah. a house or something with so with random people, basically. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And do you enjoy it? I enjoy it. Um, I, I like it. Do you know, it's it's fine. It's it's clean. It's tidy. It's organized. It's well looked after in the sense of building maintenance and the security and all that kind of stuff. So, it's safe. Um, did you find it difficult to get accommodation? I didn't. Uh, I'm as lucky enough. Yeah, a lot okay. of people do struggle purely because of price. Yeah. And obviously the big news this week was the 11.5% increase. Yeah. In and, but this is the thing, because I've been looking at some of the accommodation that's out there, right? And some of it, it's um, it, they're beautiful, big double 
rooms, double beds, ensuite. I mean, this is stuff that I'm paying for in a house share in Dublin. I couldn't believe Kevin Doyle, some of the, com- some of the accommodation that, that's out there. It, it's priced at the right price because it's unbelievable. Yeah, some of it does look very luxurious. I mean, there, there's one I think UCD run, which is about 11 grand. And I saw pool tables and study rooms. Yeah, and it's fabulous and, accommodation. Yeah. Now look, the majority of the students can't afford it. And what I'm saying is, if you can't afford what's out there, we have a housing shortage. There is a huge supply and demand issue. So one option that's out there that nobody seems to be availing of is the digs option. Why aren't more students going for digs? Because, and, and I think back to myself, it's 15 years ago when I started college in DCU. And I remember when I was leaving school whatever if you told me I was going into digs I would have thrown the biggest straw <laughs> ever because Even if they had a cat what? Or, <laughs> or two or three cats because it's it's there is this mentality I think and and now I'm I don't know what students can't speak for them nowadays but back then the mentality was like you're going to college you want to be able to go out and the idea is you're moving out from under mammy and daddy and if you move into someone else's house and someone else's rules and someone else's restrictions yeah sure maybe you're allowed to go out on a Tuesday night and come home at one or two o'clock but you're conscious that somebody's registering the fact that you're coming home at one Mm. or two o'clock in the morning (laughs) so even if you do get up for your lecture at a half eight or nine and you make it in time you don't miss anything you're conscious that you're coming into someone's house and waking them up at two o'clock Whereas if it's a bunch of students you're living with, you don't care. That's you, all. Part you don't of want it. to wake up your man now or that you, dad's Now that you know mates. what Diggs is, yeah. <laughs> are, you, no, are you attracted to it? No, not at all. Let's be honest. Like I don't want to be living, let's say, for example, with my grandparents, and I'm coming in at four o'clock in the morning. Right, that's fine. But then he's like, do you know, my mom calls and they go, oh, do you know, he got up at 11 this morning. And he goes, well, he had a 9 and a 10 a.m. lecture, do you know, why wasn't he there? Do you know, I, I, the great part about living in a student accommodation is I can kind of Listen, pick and choose and I come and go think, and do what I want. I get it. I think you have the wrong idea about digs. Um, where I live, because I live very close to IADT in Dunleary and we're also on the QBC for UCD. There, And if you go on to either of the colleges, they have specific websites mm. that are offering accommodation with families, digs, yeah. old-fashioned digs. And I know people who've done it, and I've done it before. Um, I couldn't care less what time you come in at. You're not my child. Yeah, but you're you're uh, uh, you would be a good digs host then, because there's but other I digs hosts no, mightn't no, be like no that. No digs host wants to be a, a mammy to somebody else. That's the whole reason that you would like to have a student from third level as opposed to a Spanish student coming I, in for I, the I, summer I, who you do have to mind. I, Nobody wants to I mind. I think there's a jump here because I do know some lads that I went to school <clears> with who did go to digs and that was more because they wanted their we were country lads they wanted, they wanted the dinner the dinner in the evening <laughs> and, and cooked they, for them yeah, and, and <laughs> made for them and, and they wanted yeah. those kind of luxuries option. within that yeah. but I think the vast vast majority of people who are 18, 19 want that to breathe in that freedom the of looking Listen, after their own I understand themselves. of course the students want it I wouldn't know like I only lived in digs actually um, I sort of tell a kind of a half lie because I did live in digs but it was actually during my summer holidays of college. So I came up to Dublin to work and then oh, I lived right. in digs, right? Um, because it was was cheaper than getting yeah. an apartment or something in Dublin. But I got breakfast and a meal as part of the deal. And it was 90 quid a week. Like it was excellent. I had no bills. You just paid your 90 quid yeah. and you had food as well. My point now is that it is really expensive for students to get accommodation and they can't get the accommodation. And yet there is an option out there and they aren't going for it. I think digs is a perfect option, especially especially for first year students who are coming up because it gives them that year, the transition. And I think then it can be it can be really wonderful. But I do think that we as a society should be very angry that this is happening um, because it's it's the same problem that we have with homelessness and with housing generally is that um, um, private developers 
and investors are making a fortune out of the fact that we have a supply problem, both with students and, and, and generally. And the solutions of let the market sort it and, you know, fast tracking things through board planola and going for high density this and throwing away all the rules. Um, is purely going to benefit developers, and it's not going to. It's not going to help I people think in, in the homes, interim, though. It's certainly not going to help. You know, students. I think in the short term, people are going to have to cut their cloth as well a little bit. Like, but that's but not good enough. There shouldn't be families on low incomes who are being prevented from sending their kids to college because they can't afford it's, accommodation. It's becoming like, become a situation where we're, where cost is becoming a barrier to education, which I think is an absolute disgrace. And I was really annoyed when I woke up this morning or th- this week and heard that it was eleven point five percent increase because. I know where I'm living, it's gone up 600 euros now from what it was last year. And that's a huge difference. And, you know, you don't really see it. And I think from the outside, it's it's easier for people to say, ah, look, students aren't that stuck or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. When you're living in student accommodation and you see somebody eating pasta for two weeks because they can't afford to buy any other food because they're stuck for cash. Now, in fairness. It's, it's a big, it is a big issue. And okay. like, I, I do think it affects students massively. I remember I think this, the days of rat mines and the, this, the bed sits and the... The, the super heaters and students living on it was beans but in those days we hadn't even moved on to pasta there's, there's, to there's, there's, pasta anyway. yeah, it was, it <laughs> people sleep on, on couches and there's people like it's a serious issue right, I think yeah, we really days. need to look at it and I think the colleges should be really disappointed in themselves because I think it's shocking what they're doing to but students see, colleges are underfunded and they're using and they're using it as a method. 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 okay yeah. look we're going to take a very short break do stay with us we'll be back with more from the panel in just a moment Okay, well, you're welcome back to the final part of this Friday's final furlong. My panellists today, political editor with the Irish Independent, Kevin Doyle, Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist, and also Harry McCann, founder of Trendsetter.ie. Well, this next topic generated a huge level of controversy on the hard shoulder earlier this week because according to a new study, more than a third of young diners have never eaten a spotted dick and a quarter have never had a slice of flan. Harry McCann, are you guilty? How do you plead? Yeah, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but Offy Pie eating mess, roly poly, spotted dick. I've never had any of them. I've never heard of Not them. Not even been Offy Pie. I, I had to Google them to find oh, out what Harry, they were. God. It's like, I've never heard of anything. What happened to just st- chocolate cake? If you stayed cake? in digs, the, the Bannon tea would <laughs> yes, probably have made it. This is it. I feel like I've just missed out on you, life. We're going to send you a whole different life course. 21 and I'm just gone. Well, I have to say, this survey also showed, as Harry pointed out there, um, it was carried out in the UK and a fifth of young people aged, and they're not that young, 23 to 38, have never had... Eaten mess, as Harry mentioned, banoffee pie, rhubarb crumble, and one in six didn't have jelly and ice cream in over 10 years. We're asking today, though, have the traditional desserts fallen out of fashion? Is it all now fancy tarts or torts as they are in Dublin and sorbet when you go out to eat? Kevin Doyle, you are a countryman living in the big smoke, so I, I, <laughs> are I, you now all about the torts? I have had all of the above, and uh, <laughs> eating mess would be high on my list. Flan, do. you don't really get flan no, anymore. I don't like flan That's now. Not Take a or leave thing. flan. I do remember being younger. A cheat of dessert. Fan is just like when somebody's coming and you've nothing. Yeah. And you run and buy a base and you throw some cream in it. Well, for me, it's the fruit. texture of it. I mean, the, the, yeah. just the, the gooey. Ev- kind yeah, of everything about it is just. Yeah. You're all far too posh here. Just get a yogurt or you know some ice cream or something. <laughs> Give it's, us your... it's, all, it's all cheese boards and stuff now. I notice more so. Is, yeah. is that That's it's... after dessert. Cheese board is after oh, dessert. There's something after dessert. It's not instead of dessert. Cheese board is after dessert. Yeah. No, I'm a dessert man. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't eat chocolate, which freaks people out. <gasps> but, At all? Um, no. But um, Favourite dessert? Favourite dessert would probably like meringue and cream well this is the other thing now I couldn't believe this right because as part of this survey as well it showed that one fifth of people that took part in the research they'd never had pavlova 
Oh, they're missing out. I know. I think pavlova is one of the most underrated desserts. Going well, I'm glad to hear it. It's one of the most underrated desserts. So simple. I was going to take you out for like. Well, you were going to bring you for me. I told you past it for the last three years. But it's it's incredible because it's never on menus anymore. Like everything's panna cotta, creme brulee. Well, there is this thing that you often know when you go into a restaurant and you don't actually know what the dessert is because it's it's and you know what actually annoys me is these these medley of desserts which oh, is I kind of oh, really? yeah I know lots of people do but that kind of is like no I want a choice like and I want to just have what I want mm. instead of this thing where you get like you know a little eclair and a little tartlet oh I like little, those yeah because you, know, you can have all yeah. the things yeah yeah but yeah. I have a bit of everything if I want a slice of apple tart I want a slice of apple tart but the best desserts are homemade desserts. Oh, they now, really are. I have a huge issue with this when you go into coffee shops and restaurants and they tell you they've homemade oh, desserts yeah, and they're not, not homemade yeah, and you no. always know. Yeah, because they don't taste right. Yeah, you, you always know. Homemade know, like. desserts, I am, I'm like you, I absolutely love desserts and I'm all for the old fashioned desserts. Like what? Um, What's your top my, three? My night? pièce de la résistance in the winter would be um, Queen of Pudding. Ever heard of Queen no, of Pudding? I don't know what that's that is, a really old fashioned pudding and it's basically breadcrumbs and custard. It's a hot pudding. Um and I do it with black uh, blackcurrant jam and I throw in a bit of limoncello and then you put um not meringue but just you whip up egg whites on the top of it. And you bake you it. Right. Yeah, it's fabulous. <laughs> it is fabulous. It's a good gorgeous. dollop of it, I'd say. <laughs> but can I tell you that my, my granddaughter who's just about to turn two was home in July and we we threw an advanced birthday party. Her birthday's actually next week. We threw an advanced birthday party for her here at home with her Irish family and I hosted it. It was the best fun ever. I made loads of jelly, loads of jelly, and I ate most of it. Really? <laughs> yeah, so I thought you were going to say you were giving the kids it. the pudding with limoncello, <laughs> and I was like, no wonder. No, 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 but jelly and ice cream, I adore. I, re- I didn't. Mm. I, what happened jelly and ice cream? What happened? Je- you know, and, and I'm a vegetarian. I should right. not be eating jelly at all. But I can't, jelly and ice cream is just. I associate sublime. jelly and ice cream, you know, on a Sunday afternoon mm. about oh. twenty years ago. Or ice cream yeah. and ice cream and wafers. Yeah, they're gone too. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that's actually, I was only thinking that we would often, well, we wouldn't often, but occasionally we'd go out with the kids, the kids, my kids are adults, for something to eat in January. And you'd look at the uh, the menu of the desserts and we'd be like, well, none of them are really like that. They're all kind of a bit up their own, you know. And uh, our favourite thing to do is say, now nah, we go out and we go down to Teddy's and get a 99. Okay, yeah. <gasps> Again, absolute But Harry, now that we've just sort of shot you down completely, you, yeah. you are allowed to tell us what your favourite dessert is, though. I, I like chocolate cake. Like, I think I was born a long way from roly polies yeah, and spotted dicks <laughs> now, to be honest, you know. Just though, take in, in Galair, we, we were into those kind of things. My mom's chocolate cake, your mommy's my mom's, chocolate My mommy's a really good cook and baker now in fairness to her so right. she makes a really nice chocolate cake for the birthdays somebody's yeah. going home for the weekend yeah, Tanya, yeah. Like, you know my mom's my mom likes you know making really nice food so in fairness i'm not like completely deprived of good food Um, i do like chocolate cake i like a bit of apple tart Um, i like a, a donut you know one of those fancy donuts now oh, you, do get, you? you know with all these fillings and toppings yeah and, god i'm not mad about that like yeah, it's, no, it's a bit hipster like but you know i still like them and uh well, that's allowed yeah t- but as i said no i, I just roly-poly the only time i've ever heard roly-poly was harry but you know what anybody should do oh, no, i'm a celebrity <laughs> <laughs> only time i've ever heard that is like harry redknapp's roly-polies but if anybody <laughs> wants to because a lot of these old desserts also are very much seasonal you know they're yeah. using up things that are in so like rhubarb i made a rhubarb crumble last night uh because i've loads of rhubarb in the garden um but you it's hard to find recipes for good old-fashioned simple desserts in modern cookery books but if you went to a second-hand store or raid your mammy's 
house and mm. take out because that's what I did I took out one of her really old cookbooks great recipes in there and millions of them and millions of cake recipes The other thing as well as part of this survey it showed that a lot of them well it's the reason the most millennials aren't having desserts is because they're, they're also healthy. healthy and they want to eat fruit salad basically and that's what they want now in the menu but the other thing it, it um, revealed as well is that a lot of people now they feel really guilty having desserts and they kind of feel like they're being judged you know if they're out for a meal and It's expensive Well it is like, it's, yeah. like when you get a meal now and you go out and you're getting all your food you know it's going to 50 or 60 euros and you're kind of going do I need that next for 10 or 20 on you to do, get yeah. to your, to your <laughs> <laughs> like, when you're out to right, as you said yeah. and getting a 99 yeah no well I'd, I'd, I'd leave the wine if I couldn't have a dessert if I had to choose between one or the other and I'd go for dessert dessert you can't have a meal without a dessert would you right? starter or dessert or are you oh I'd be full? dessert if I had to choose I'd be a dessert okay I'd be but starter I'd yeah, exactly. starter. Bag. I think I'd go starter as well yeah, yeah. Starter, well, so you're not really a dessert person then what? same way as you're not really well, no, that person you're just a fraud Kevin Doyle a big fraud to be honest Barbara I don't compromise I'd be having both and that's it it's all in. It's all in. Look, I want to ask you about another story as well that um, we were talking about this week too and talk, seeing as we're out for the meal now when we've had our starter and our main course and oh. a dessert. Big question now, who's going to pay for it all? Because again, we're hitting the per millennials. New research in the oh US God. this time shows that um, struggling to find love is also because they can't actually afford to date. And this got us thinking here on the programme this week about who should actually pay for the first date. Do you go Dutch or is it the one who does the asking or the one, is that the person who should pay? What do you think, Barbara Scully? Uh, my mother, um, who's a very wise old bird of 84, always said, always, long before, you know, kind of um, we, when we were in the middle of the waves of feminism, she always said, whoever does the asking on the first date should offer to pay. In other words, if you're if a guy asks you out, he should offer to pay. And if you ask a guy out, you should offer to pay, um, which I think is is a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, okay. And I think after that, then it should be 50-50. But again, I, you know, looking at this piece of research, which said that the poor millennials can't afford to date. I mean, again, I know I'm Methuselah and I'm way the oldest here. But I mean, in my day, like a first date, you might be a walk down the pier and a cup of coffee. Like it didn't have to be the full bells and whistles. You're trying to impress somebody, like you know, that. you're not going, let's go for a walk. You see, you see, no, there wasn't, yeah. There wasn't, she, she did go to, she like go to Teddy's me. after. Yeah, do you know? <laughs> Could have been going to Teddy's and get an ice cream. Yeah. Harry McCann, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm I'm um, a college student, so I'm actively dating or trying to anyway. And um, I, I was there a couple of weeks ago in Dublin for pizza and, and cocktails and... I, I picked up the bill and it was 75 euros believe it or not for Harry two cocktails and, a, on, and two pizzas right but Come I was on, always Harry. raised to be saying you pay you, you pay and it's not anything to do in like you know manly things it's just and pure gentleman and is that you because you asked or is that I just paid you just paid I just paid um, she went it's... up to go to the bathroom and I paid and, and left and now did, I'm curious did, did she offer to pay no, like she, there wasn't really much of a discussion because I don't like getting you, into discussions with somebody. You, I just paid. Yeah. Now I've been on dates where I've paid before, and like people would be like, "You wouldn't even get a oh thanks or oh no, I'll offer." Like it's like you see, no, I here think you go. there's an expectation that the fella would would pay. Well, there definitely is. And I, it's like, I see Kevin no, Doyle. I see no scenario where the guy gets a second date if he doesn't offer to fact. pay. Exactly. I see no fact. scenario where she goes, "I asked you out, I'll get the bill," and he goes, "Okay." And she doesn't run back to her mates and go, oh my God, you're not going to believe. He let yes. me pay. Well, I, w- I would insist on pay- paying half of it. But like, do you want to sit there and calculate? Like, that's oh, the awkward the part of it. Fifty quid for whatever. But if it's sixty-four I, euros, I would want you're going, to pay twenty-five. And, you know, you had the pizza, so that's a bit more expensive. <laughs> and you know, I had only like I only had the bread, but I only a tiny bit of it. So you know, I know we live like, in a world of equality and and all the rest. I know, of it. it's but not there that, is but certain things that are just gonna, traditional. You know, yeah, there are certain traditions that are probably worth keeping and upholding. 
And the guy paying the first date is just one of those. Second date, third date, yes. you can negotiate yeah. who buys the cinema tickets, whatever. But I think in in a scenario, it's just easier for and the I guy know. to just pay. But I yeah. also think as well, it we depends. We held against him for the entire relationship, but always. Well, it would come up at the wedding speech. Yeah. 100%. It's, it would be brought up in the yeah. wedding speech. It's a friend's discussion, though. And especially if you're going out with somebody you know and they're like, it's definitely guys who look at you going, why didn't you just pay? It was like, even if you watch first dates on RT, That's what I was just going to say. And you watch and you're waiting for somebody and it's like, they look to split and I'm going, that's no way, you should leave him straight away. It's like, I think, don't first, dates, I think first dates on TV are Virgin Media. Oh, Virgin Media, <laughs> wow. But I, I know from watching it with my daughters as well, who are all young adults, and much as we'd all say, yeah, yeah, the 50-50 and all the rest of it, if if the if the woman offers to pay and, and the guy goes, okay, fine, we all go, oh my God, like you didn't even offer. Oh no, I, I would never offer to pay for the whole thing, Barbara. <laughs> it's only for half. <laughs> oh, really no. liked him, like, yeah, go on. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm not that much of a feminist. I'm never paying for the whole thing. Jesus, no way. But like I would, I would definitely, you know, insist on, no, look, if they want to, insist further and say they'll pay they wouldn't stop them but like yeah. no you, you probably have to do that that faux uh, like Mrs Doyle and Father Ted like ah, no, 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 <laughs> no I'll get it no I'll get it no I'll get it no I'll be get more insistent than that like. and eventually uh, the girl usually cracks I don't know do that's, I, I, that that is the tradition but you're right about this though it is talked about you know, yeah, of course it is. You don't groups. want her and running back it, to her mates. You in use the year it as a measure of the guy. You do fair whether that's fair or not, but you do. And I've always said to my girls, always one of the worst things in anybody, male or female, but certainly if you're ha- going to have a long term relationship, is meanness. Nobody wants to be with somebody who I is know. mean. And uh, so I think that you know, I think it's if you do the asking, you should pay for the first date. Well, yeah, well, that's funny that th- because I, I've never heard of that one before. Of but, whoever asks pays. Yeah, for the first date. Yeah. I think if a girl goes up to a guy and says, yeah, I'm going to test drive there, this and see. There's a certain logic in that. But yeah. sadly, in very... dating and love, there's absolutely no but logic. There's an expectation <laughs> yeah, of the guy true. to ask as well, though. So like, yeah, this that's is the thing. There's well. the expectation that the guy asks you on the date. So does that mean we're automatically putting ourselves in for the bill then? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's expensive. You need to start rethinking yeah. this, like, Harry. Yeah. It is, it's, it, I <laughs> understand. Harry, drop the cocktails. That was, <laughs> yeah, what, that yeah. was what sunk you they were, was the cocktails. They were, they were great. The conversation flows. How much flows. were the cocktails? 12 euros <laughs> yeah, each or something. But like, it's, I think dating is expensive. There, but there wasn't, no. I knew there wasn't going to be a second date as well. What? And I still paid. And I still think I would, even if I know there's not going to be a second date. Because I think you've gone out for the night, you've had a good time, even if you don't think it's going further. I still would pay. Wow. I think it's. I just Harry, think it's the nice thing to do. Yeah, but it is expensive. And I can understand why they've said a lot of people won't. And like, I can understand if you don't have the money, you're not working, mm. you're in college. And, you know, a coffee might be just the simplest thing to do. But I often think a nice meal is a bit you better. Should, I wouldn't go to the cinema. You stretched though. out for the dessert and ate your emotions. <laughs> <laughs> or just got into coppers afterwards, <laughs> apparently, the night away. Well, I'm, I'm sticking with my 50 50 rule anyway. But, Kevin, you're saying it's all, uh, your, your verdict and all of this is no, you think that the. It's kind of chivalrous, I think, is what you yeah, think, yeah I think yeah, I think I think some traditions are worth upholding. And I think chivalry should be retained. Definitely. All right. Well, look, my thanks to you all as always for joining us here this Friday evening for uh, today's edition of, of course, the final furlong on the hard shoulder. I'm Andrea Gilligan in for um, Ivan Yates this evening. My thanks to our panelists today: Kevin Doyle, political editor with the Irish Independent; Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist; and also Harry McCann, the founder of Trendsetter.ie. <laughs> Thank you.
I can't stop thinking about them. I keep rereading their old texts. Brian, Brian, this has got to stop. It's been months and they send those alerts to everyone. You know that, right? Look, your bank is leaving, but you got to get back out there. Listen to me, any bank would be lucky to have you, especially Bank of Ireland. Really? Yeah, they've even put together a simple step-by-step guide to move on banks and have a dedicated team on hand to help. Even an ending could be a new beginning. To start finding your new banking partner, download our step-by-step guide to moving banks. Search Bank of Ireland Big Move. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.